0: We often go to to university or to college thinking always of where we will go. And we often forget that in that four years, you're supposed to make yourself, uh, to form yourself into the best that you can be.
1: This podcast is co-presented by Easydex. Right now, it's difficult to navigate the world of decentralized finance or DeFi. That's why Easydex is rolling out a series of solutions to make finding and managing the best DeFi products as easy as just taking out your phone. Check out Easydex now.
2: So, hey guys, this is Lance and Matt, and you're listening to Project Offbeat, a podcast that helps you explore careers outside your usual corporate setup. In today's episode, we're guesting a renowned public historian whose goal is to write for the people and the massa. He also chairs multiple history orgs, such as the National Historical Commission of the Philippines and the NCAA or the National Commission for Culture and the Arts. He is known to be our country's leading expert in all things Jose Rizal, our national hero. His stories and lectures on
1: Rizal were known to disrupt
2: your perception of the ever-perfect and genius
1: Jose Rizal. But Lance and I more fondly know him as this legendary professor in Ateneo. He's known to give exams, that will be the death of you. It will infuriate you or delight you depending on how well you prepared. No? Such as this 100-point true or false exam that apparently all the answers were true. No? Or this quintet test where five members of a certain group takes a test and he'll randomly call one, one person to answer. And that person's grade will be the grade of the entire group. No? So very, very unique exams, No, Lance. Our guest today is none other than the great public historian and lecturer, Ambet Ocampo. He joins us today to talk about his offbeaten path of pursuing the historian life, from the rigors of research to writing about it and to teaching about it. Expect a jam-packed episode today. Good morning and welcome to the show, Professor Ambet. Uh, kayo?
0: naman. Nice to hear that you both came from Ateneo, although I wonder why you were not in my classes. (laughs) We we actually tried, sir. We (laughs) actually tried to enlist. (laughs) Well, that's a problem. I mean, uh, it's one of the things about join in Ateneo that they give people random numbers. So it's it's actually a lottery. And I I feel so Mm, bad because I mean, there are people who got there just by luck. And there were people who really wanted to be in the class but cannot be in the class because a computer decided which, which <laughs> exactly. where he would go. No, so yeah. it's a it's it's kind of hard. No, uh, the, the last time I met uh, the, well the first time I I met Corazon Aquino after after so long. Uh, yeah. her first her first remark was you know my my grand grandson could not get in your class. No, and I and then I said but that should not be a problem. Why didn't you talk to Father Nebrés? No, then President of the Ateneo and. Typical typical Korean way, she says, you know, I didn't want to bother anyone. So I told <laughs> her, okay, starting today, you just give me the names of your grandchildren and I'll make sure that, that they get in my class. So I had one granddaughter, Nova, so that sort of made her happy. But I don't know if the grade of the granddaughter would make her happy. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the thing about the Abbot tocampo class. In my, in my ratings, they always say, uh, your grades will not reflect what you actually learned. Um uh, mm. Yeah. Simply because it was uh, when, when I started early teaching, one, one of my mentors used to say, if you give high grades, you have low standards. So um, I, I would purposely give low grades, so people will not enroll in the class but people. And I keep telling people, you know, uh, other teachers will give you higher grades than me. So why, why do you all want to flock to this class? So it's I wonder why you know? but then we'll see.
2: Yes, I think there's really more of your lectures. Uh, people say that they even pay for it in museums and and what much more if you're a student, right? I mean, why you have this you get, opportunity, uh, you better take you it. get it
0: for free and then you sleep <laughs> in class. <Exactly. laughs> <laughs> I guess if you pay, you have to keep awake.
2: You
1: no, know? but right. actually
0: you do pay, but um, if you it doesn't hurt you as much as if you have to pay when you go to the The Ayala Museum, unfortunately, well, we used to have up to around 700 people, paying people on a Saturday. And I used to tell the museum, can you imagine how much more we will have if this was free? And uh, the Ayala Museum, as you know, has has recently been renovated. They created a big hall for me to have 1000 People, no, but again, because of the pandemic, we cannot use that anymore. We can't fill it up. But uh, can you imagine seven hundred people coming on a Saturday to listen to, to listen to a historian speak? No, so I mean, there must be there must be something there. No, um, most people think history is boring, but I guess the seven hundred people who would come did not think so. My when when people ask me, you know, uh, Deb Ed used to invite me all the time uh, to give seminars on, and then you could see the topic already was how to make history interesting. So I would tell them, obviously, you had a bad teacher, you no? Know? So uh, history cannot. History is about life. History is about people and human nature. It is engaging, no? Um, but again, it's the way that it is taught. So the subject itself is not, is not boring. It's the way that it. I guess. Even if I hated it, I guess algebra and math could be engaging, depending on who your teacher is. So, uh, it can be philo, math, uh, Swahili, uh, any subject should be should be engaging. Always the teacher or the medium, no, that that makes it. good or bad so anyway. actually
2: i uh, that that's a perfect uh way to put it right in this show we want to highlight different careers all over the world for you is a historian's job like making history engaging or are there any other aspects of a historian you know which uh people should know about right your day-to-day life you know your 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 processes um what does it mean to be a historian well the
0: the, the problem here is that um History as a discipline, we have very, very few majors. You know? So um, people, obviously, when you look at the figures, they all go to uh, courses that they think will lead to a job you know, after. So there's a lot of people in, in mm-hmm. management. There's a lot of people in economics or psych. Um, so I used to think that maybe and people who go to history in the past, it was the traditional stepping stone to law no uh, so if you wanted to take law you had to have an undergrad degree it could be any degree but most people took history um so it was not really taken as a as a subject or as as a career uh, and many people usually think i nako you become a historian uh, you will end up a teacher and you know in this country they they really look down on teachers one because uh, normally teachers are underpaid and overworked we all know that um, but um, an academic historian like myself, I keep telling my students that you can actually consider it as a career because today um, history is not just in a classroom or researching in a library. There are other there are other allied fields. No, that's why they call it public history now because it means you can either work in a museum, no? uh, or you can work in a newspaper. Um, um, you can work as a tour guide. I mean, there, there are so many things, so many openings for history that people don't normally think about. But um, to become an academic historian, meaning a, a, a historian in a university, um, can actually be a career. You know? And I, I, I started that career very, very late. And I realized that, I mean, if I have um, a university job, one, it pays the rent, you No. Know? And number two, the perks of being an academic, uh, and most people do not see this, uh, if you hit the jackpot like like I do, you will travel on other people's money. Now, a pre-pandemic, uh, there are so many conferences to attend all around the world, and uh, you will be paid to just attend and deliver mm-hmm. deliver a paper. So uh, I saw much of the world on other people's money. No, That's one. Then number two, you have... Um, the opportunity for many for many grants, no, many, many fellowships. One of the most, uh, I've had two or three. The most memorable being my first uh, Fulbright Senior Research Fellowship. No, I was at the U.S. Embassy, I think it was Cocktails, and then the U.S. Ambassador came up to me and said, Ambet, what do you want for Christmas? And offhand, I just said, I want six months in the Library of Congress to read. And then he says, "Yeah, you have it. Uh, mm. They'll call you in in a week." You know, so then they called up and they, and they said, "We'll give you a Fulbright. I said, "I don't want to study you know, and I don't want to lecture. I just want to read. So they gave me six months in the US. I, I spent two months in Washington DC. two months in New York, two months in um, in Michigan, two months in Chicago. And it was uh, what a wonderful grant to get mm. they right? to be able to read, to be paid to read. You no, know, That's mm. why. Um, and then another grant I had, which was wonderful, was uh, it was a Japanese foundation that gave me the opportunity to live in Japan, uh, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, and Kuala Lumpur to study money, just to look at why money is the way that it is. And that uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. You know? So those are the things. You have grants, you have fellowships, and more importantly, yeah, in your own university like the Ateneo, uh, senior academics have what is called a sabbatical, meaning every so many years you are given one one year leave with pay wow. to recharge. No, I mean no other <laughs> wow. job in the no other job <laughs> in the world will give you that. No, uh, can you imagine one year leave with pay? Um, and most people use that time to either write a book uh, or you can you can travel no you can do more research although that's the thing about historians no M- many people say they think hey, when ambeto campo is traveling is um he's, he's we, we have an idea of travel as vacation uh but when people actually see what i do no i mean i when i go abroad on a research trip i sit in a library for 8 hours no so it's not well it's fun for me no but it's uh, for normal, normal people, it's not fun. No? And I, I grew up in a family of uh, of entrepreneurs. No? So in my generation, no, um people my, my uncles and aunts never understood how come he doesn't go to work? Right? Doesn't he have a nine to five job? Um why is he always in his room just buttering around, opening books? Uh, it that it didn't seem like work, but it actually is work, no. So um it it well it pays the rent so that's the thing uh, lectures pay the rent and you know very early on um, although of course I'm nice to podcast people like you but um I, I made it I made it a profession so you invite me to speak you have to pay, you know? um, and the pay is really the pay can be very low I mean I have socialized pricing so you're up. Uh, public school in, say, Butuan, uh, you want me to speak. Uh, and I usually tell them, then you have to, I mean, you pay me what you can afford. You can only afford one peso, you pay me the one peso, no? because things should not be given out for free. And then there are times when, you know, I only give, you know, foreign foundations will give, say, I give a 20-minute talk and they will pay you something like 5,000 US dollars. It's not not a bad gig, you know? So... Uh, for those thinking of uh, uh, doing history as a career, one well, one thing I feel a bit guilty about, you know, when I was chair of the history department, uh, I would interview people who would want to join our graduate program and they they came in because they they saw me and I keep telling people, my career is distinctly my own. You have to carve and create your own career. So, uh, I cannot promise that you will be on the campo, but you can try, right? and there are many many opportunities to to do so. Unfortunately, and you know the field is wide open. There's very very uh, that's the secret. You no, know? uh, I'm retiring. Uh, there is a wide open field, but uh, people are not there yet. So it's
1: it's a possibility for people who want to do it. So uh, we actually really appreciate that you're giving us insight into what are the opportunities, what are the scholarships, what are the grants, experiences that you've had, and yeah. it's very very eye opening. But uh, just wanted to know, no, um, since in Project Offbeat we talk about pursuing the offbeaten and path. Was this ever like a long term path that you had already set in your mind that yes, I'm going to pursue this uh, someday. I'm going to be an academic scholar. Someday I'm going to be just reading books in the library in the Congress, yeah. etc. So I just wanted to know was this ever planned or was this just a spur of the moment? Take well, the next I, opportunity.
0: I guess people like you who are in corporate, you want to plan everything. But my mm. life, my life did not have a very clear uh, path. No? Um, yeah. I went from school to school. So I. I studied in Ateneo. My degrees came from La Salle. I took my grad school in, in UP. So I, I went to the top three, wow. no. Uh and I taught in the top three. Um so th- that's the thing. Before settling in Ateneo, uh, I went to all three. And so when people look at it, it's not it's it's kind of odd, no? And I don't know, uh they, I think they changed it. No, we were one of the first batches in Ateneo. That had the the IS or interdisciplinary studies program, mm. and people never understood what the hell is an IS major, no? And but it was for people, I guess, like who didn't know what to do with their life, no? I mean, people, some people know I'll be a manager, you go to take uh, management. I, I want to be a physicist, I take physics. But IS is what at my time was basically a very heavy uh, humanities, social sciences. You could get from any, uh, any department, uh, you could make your own curriculum. So if you looked at my transcript, my Ateneo transcript, ano ba to, he has courses on film, there's Japanese literature, no? There's golf. What, what kind of a person will you be? But I guess part of the thing here is we often go to, to university or to college thinking always of where we will go. And we often forget that in that four years, you're supposed to make yourself, uh, to form yourself into the best that you can be. Uh, And so, because I had a very strong uh, humanities and social sciences degree. I mean, I knew my limits. I cannot do math or science. So, I I did the best in those. And... um, my first real job was actually writing for the newspapers. You know, I I wrote it at the tail end of the Marcos period uh, in, in the Daily Express. It was a Marcos newspaper. And in those days, nobody was writing history because it's boring though. So I started writing history in a rather fun way. And mm-hmm. the censors felt it was safe. You know, history is safe. It's about the past. But later on, I realized that many times i could actually subvert the censorship because you could write you could comment on the present by looking at the past no um uh, so it started with that no so i started writing and then later i was invited to to teach you no know? um and then i did all sorts of things so the the career actually wasn't really planned no i i didn't want to be an academic i didn't want to be uh, a historian, actually. No? Um, I did, didn't quite know what I wanted to do. But things, I guess, in life, things fall into place. No? Um, so because I was, I was the most, especially 1998, the centennial years, I was the only one, the most high-profile person writing about the Philippine Revolution. So after 1998, uh, when Gloria Macapagal Arroyo came in, so I was appointed to the Uh, National Historical Commission. And I stayed there for about nine years. And when you think about it, what is the, what is the historical commission? It's a insignificant government agency. No, but I, I found out again, it's not because of my heavy humanities, social science training, I could, I could go anywhere you put me. So I realized then that the historical commission was not really a it wasn't a historical job. It was a political job. No, um, you're going to change the name of a street, for example. Uh, and historically, I just say somebody wanted to change a street in in Binondo, an old Binondo street. And they wanted to change it for the name of some Chinoy entrepreneur, the Lolo of some Chinoy <laughs> entrepreneur. So I said, it, in the, this cannot be, no, because that street has been there for centuries. And then you know my yearly experience of hell going to Congress for for my budget one senator says if you you object to this renaming I will give your agency one peso oh, so what do you do okay fine that's uh, you do what you want no why do you have to ask me so the, the point here is I realized it was a political job and um, and then uh, mrs arroyo gave me all sorts of jobs no so i was appointed to the commission on culture no which which is our agency that has uh, well it had a trust fund no so we had something like 300 million a year to spend on grants. so i mean how nice it is debat to just think of how to spend money for for culture no uh, uh, the tail end of her administration i was made um what's this uh chair of uh, state visits, incoming state visits. So whenever a state visitor comes in, I have to think about, make suggestions about what food to do, what to do with the guests. Uh, uh, part of part of the planning that that isn't really, uh, their, you know, DFA has their plans about, you know, what agreements we will sign, what we will talk about. But Ambeto Campos' job was, I had to give the president, say, um, a one-page memo on say this president is coming in, nakalagay yan. His wife's name is is uh, Terry. Uh, he owns two cats. The names are this and this, and he collects stamps. And of course, the DFA will say, "What on earth is this?" No, it's the first page in the in the kit. And I said, "But that's the icebreaker. When your president meets with another president, you must establish rapport. If you don't, give dip, baliwala, dipa? So." again what gifts do you give what is appropriate what will be what will be appreciated no these things are are things that i learned i learned uh, on the job no uh, again uh, one nice example no uh, the, the sultan of brunei was coming in uh, so my job was to see uh, to ask first how many wives is he bringing with him uh, uh, and then what is the ranking of the wife is it wife one, five, you know, four, you no, know? and uh, so what do you do with? So he brought three. And then I had to do separate programs for them. You know? So one wanted to buy pets. So we brought her to bio-research. He bought the entire thing. Because oh. the sultan flies his own plane, right? A 747. Seven. So they can, it's like, I, I imagine it was like Noah's Ark, but right? they would get two of every animal <laughs> and bring it in. Then the other wife wanted pearls. So you bring her to Green Hills, Neba. And then I don't know what the third one was, but one of the other uh, things was that the Sultan of Brunei had a very light schedule. So we had to we had to give him, you know, he has bilateral talks, he has to cut ribbons here, but he's very careful about his downtime. So in his schedule, and dami kalagay private time, private time that you cannot touch. You know? So you work around it, but. Every afternoon, he had to play badminton. That was his exercise. So before the state visit, for example, I had to find someone to play badminton with him. So who? Then so we determined, ah, it will be the, the chief of the armed forces. He knows how to play badminton. So we brought him. You know, the, the sultan lived in Makati Shang They have a badminton court. Then I told the general, uh, General, you're going to play with the sultan. Uh, uh, before the state dinner. So I please give him a good game, but let him win because we need their oil. I mean, it's, I mean, it's things like that. You know? Eventually, that, that general became our ambassador to Brunei. You know? uh, so uh, sometimes I wonder, you know, some, some things you can prepare for, but some things you can't. You know? uh, uh, one of my other little things was uh, ex-officio. I sat on the board of the Intramuros administration but my the, the the thing that I liked the most was sitting in the Banco Central ng My mother used to wonder, paran bobo bobo pus na central, so, well, I don't do monetary policy, ma'am, but uh, I I was consulted for nine years. I was the advisor on the numismatic committee, meaning I looked at the design of banknotes and coins to make sure that historically. Uh, the banknotes are correct. You know? So um, so the, the banknotes you have in your wallets now, what we call the new generation currency, that, that was, I was I was very heavily involved and invested in it. And just to show you what it's like, uh, you know, the money that we have, that's, that's actually history in your pocket. But like many things in life, we go through life, we see things, but we don't notice them. Uh, that's why it used to be one of my exam questions like list down all the faces all the in our money from the 20 peso bill to the 1,000 peso bill without opening your wallet. And that's the only time many students, heck, who's on, who are the three people in 1,000? Who's the guy on, on 100 pesos? Right? We know it, but we don't notice. So anyway, um, because I was the only outsider from the Banco Central. My job in this numismatic committee, when we were doing the backlog, it had very little to do with history. But I had a crash course in security features. No, uh, What kind of paper to use? What kind of printing? No, Then they had uh, they had wonderful things like there was paper that you could not photocopy. If you put it in a photocopier, it will come out black. Uh, there are things that you put under UV light. So things will come out. they are holograms. And each of these things have, have a cost, right? So, um, there were, so I was thinking, why don't we change our money drastically? So I said, can we remove all of the politicians in our money? And obviously, they were horrified because this was 2010. Mar Rojas was running for president. So how can we remove Rojas from 100? That's his law. If he's elected president, we remove his law from the money. But I said you really want to change, remove all of them, and then they said, "What do you want? Let's change them, change these politicians with heroes of the arts, no heroes of culture." Because we also got rid now of our 19th century heroes, no, Wala na si Tandang Sora, no? uh, Mabini and Bonifacio are now in coins. Uh, so the point is, why don't we have, uh, you know, heroes of culture? So they designed, but it was disapproved. No, things that had. Fernando Amorzolo for painting, Chodoro Agoncillo for history, Nick Joaquin for literature. So it would have taught people about people in other careers. So it's like offbeat, diba? you will see people in other careers. Heroes don't have to be people who die in Luneta all the time. You can be a hero by being a writer or a mathematician diba? or a painter. Uh, and then the, the funny part was I said, how come all our money is always uh, horizontal? why can't we have vertical money? And then they said, what do you mean by that? And I said, why don't we, because I'm obsessive-compulsive, why can't we have the bill vertical and then the head of the person is here on the top? And then I I'm OC, so I want it when I put my money in the vending machine, the head will go in first. <laughs> di ba? And then the Banco central said, uh, Dr. Ocampo, that means we have to recalibrate all our ATM machine. Uh, they recalibrate all the ATM, and, uh, but I mean, so they were they were amused by my ridiculous, um, well, what they thought was ridiculous suggestions. They shut it all down, but it gave them a sense of seeing things from a different perspective. I guess it's also like it's also like your podcast, but to consider things to see things from another point of view no uh, and i guess that's my that's my historical training no it's always can we see something from another point of view and when we do that uh, does it change meaning does it change the way the relevance to me um in any discipline even in corporate i guess um it's important always to see things in from different points of view so again also um you know, I would I, I sit on the the boards of the Lopez Foundation. I sit on the Ayala uh, Ayal Museum board. So you see, actually, these captains of industry uh, up close and in another in another context. You know? so when you see them, it's it's different. You know, uh, many years ago, I used to be Lucio Tan's uh, history tutor. But pe- people don't know wow. that that in his downtime he actually made time he had an english tutor he had a Visayan tutor he had a science tutor and i was his math tutor i was his history wow. tutor and uh, he would give you really 3 hours of his time you no know? uh, and we would not meet in his office there was an there was you know some small apartment where we would meet and um, you know the first time that i met him he was very interested in, in history. And uh, I found this very, very amazing that he would just listen. He says, uh, I, I, I'm too busy. I cannot, he cannot read a, a history book. So, what's the better thing? Get a talking book. Right? So, I was there for three hours. I would give him a module. Today, we will talk about the 17th century. And then we would do that. And then he would talk about Chinese history. You know? So, he would tell me about generals and emperors and so it was a nice exchange. And my my first I know was, you know, because he always g- gets a bad rap, no, especially from labor. But I was saying he's not the ogre I read about in the papers. No, but again, the, yeah. the relationship is different. I'm a teacher, he's the student. But I said, I know talking to him, I wouldn't want to be across him at a bargaining table. Ba? But as a teacher student it was it was a wonderful experience and you know usually when I got out of the room there's always some people outside waiting para, what stocks do we buy tomorrow <laughs> um, and then sabi ko, we didn't talk about the next time para alam na na. I mean so it shows you no uh, how how these things how these things work and again that's not that. it's not it did not come planned but again whatever job that you do if if you're good at it I mean whether it's business or or history or or physics you no know, uh, people will come to you no you don't have to look for it the opportunities and the jobs and the linkages all these will will come to you almost almost naturally you know? so
2: professor I can't, I can't help but uh notice no the way you're explaining history right now is like Oh, naging tutor mo si. ano, oh uh, you know, you met these guys in, in BSB and all. But I, I feel like uh, you talk about uh, history, and like you mentioned earlier, like uh, it's like life. It's like, you know, all these little things, you know, intricacies. Unlike history other is life, diba. Right? History
0: you know, is yeah, life. Uh, you know, because it's that. I mean, the way that we are taught in, in and the, I mean, most people hate it because it's. It's basically memory work, right? You're Which nice. I think has right. its, it, it also has its benefits. We really have to do our memory. But I mean, why will you give a test where somebody can get the answer on Google Wonderful. faster than you yeah. can spell Google? Right? <laughs> so it's more important to to give you, I mean, say like, what's the importance of Jose Rizal was born in Calamba in 1861. He died in Manila in 1896. That's nothing. But what was that life like? Uh, what makes him important mm, what made him different yeah. no uh, so it's 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 the story and and when you look at the stories there are many side stories so and because i'm i'm chismo so i find many things that that are very engaging no? so i i'd like to sometimes i wonder you know, i'm like the court jester you know uh, captains of industry like to talk to, but I, I guess it's it's that they they're also interested there. Eh? So they they're interested yeah. in particular facts of history, like for mm-hmm. example, um, I gave I gave a talk to uh, to the Ayalas, It was uh, a talk that you know, well they wanted to know their roots and they wanted to get someone who was engaging, so they got me, and it was required you no know, for parang every 3 years they have a family reunion so they came no and it was required from age parang age 5 uh they all have to attend no um and the morning session was mine which was a general history session to put put the the, the family and the corporation in context and then i have lunch with them and then after lunch the eld the the people 15 and over are brought to Tower One and are given, you know, a briefing on, on the empire. You know? So, I mean, you, you see that they're really very well prepared. But one of the things that I found out, for example, when you look at uh, the Ayala Corporation, you only see the men. But I, I, what I told them was that when you look at the history of the corporation, which is almost 200 years old, their fortune came from the women. Um, from Margarita Rojas uh, to uh, I mean the women were the ones who, who made the money uh, and they're not you don't see them today they're, it's okay. a very a very uh, male dominated and you know, so
2: but it's it's interesting Professor I guess um, you know in in true Athenian sense fashion no, I guess what we'd want to know is like what keeps you going you know to actually do these things you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you're about you're looking at retirement already, right? But then I guess with what we'd like to know is why do you continue to, you know, teach history this way, discover things this way, have that curiosity in mind to go to different countries and talk different languages, right? Um, what's what's keeping you, you know, uh pushed for 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 this uh, venture and for this industry?
0: It's a job, diba? I I mean like um the I live a rather unstructured life. That's also one of the nice things about being an academic. Right? You can go to TPH or MWF. You have a lot of time to yourself. And that time you can do just doing nothing. Right? But for, for me, doing nothing is reading looks like it's doing nothing. But uh, it's actually feeding, putting water into the well no? um, to be used later on. So what keeps me going, one, is that uh, I have to write for the Inquirer twice a week. Uh, it's a chore. You know? Wednesday and Friday, my column comes out. But I keep telling people, if I did not have the Inquirer column, I would not have a body of work. Can you imagine? I've been writing for 30 years. So you write twice a year. That's, that's hundreds of essays that you have written. You no, know? there, there were two times when I actually wrote every day. For a hundred days, no, yeah, ninety eight wow. and ninety nine. No, so for page one, I wrote in. I wrote every day for one hundred essays, and then I had to write but twice for the inside of pages. No? so can you imagine what that is? But well, I was younger then. But it's the it's the, I I always tell people that when, when, you know, people have these romantic ideas of writers and journalists, yung parang you sit down and you need the right mood, the right whiskey, a blue moon. I said, no, the only inspiration is the deadline. And I guess it also incorporates. it's <laughs> like that de ba? when the deadline is given, you have to
2: submit even, your paper, even with students, de ba? Even <laughs> with students de ba? You pass, truth, your, truth. pass
0: your papers, de ba? finished or not finished. In in the real world, you work against a deadline. And that's why even in school, I keep telling my students, you know, while, even while I give you uh, an extension, remember in the real world, deadlines wait for no one. No? So that's that what keeps me sane. And what gives me the pace to my life is one is the inquiry column and two it's teaching. Uh, because we went online, so my material is now online, but I still have to meet students in a synchronous way, no, on Zoom. So this gives gives me something to do. No, um, so it, it's that I mean corporate let's say you go you go nine to five every day, you clock in. Um, it's a different way of doing things, but it's how how do you find meaning in in that life? I mean, sometimes I wonder diba, what would have happened if I became a bank clerk, diba? Uh, Simple life, diba? You go in at eight, you go out at five, but it can be drudgery. But you know, you must find in life, uh, you must find relevance in what if you're bored with what you do, maybe you should try something else. You no, know? uh, if you're unhappy, you must do something else. Um, it 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 it's my I mean it was my luck that my job is something that I actually like doing. So it's not work, Nibar, right? because it is it's something that I actually enjoy. Can you imagine if you have to do something that you don't enjoy? You no, know? um. When I was in, I, I, well, most people don't know, I spent five years in a monastery, you no, know? um, and there was this one time when we were supposed to be given manual work uh, because I come from um, an upper class background. People thought that I would be humiliated by give, being given manual work, but it's not because I've lived abroad. I had to clean my own toilets, right? So, uh, when I cleaned the toilet in the monastery, people couldn't use the toilet for two hours. I really used muriatic acid on it. So it was very clean, but you couldn't enter. so Give him something else to do. So one of the one of the seniors said, okay, we have a library, you know, we had a library in the gym. So when they fixed the library of the monastery, all the Latin, all the Spanish books that were old, which nobody could read. They just dumped in the gym uh, beside the barbell. So they said, Can you fix this? And you know, I would look, I would find you no know, 17th century books. So I was cleaning the books, fixing them. And then one of the monks objected and said, Why did you why was why is his manual work fixing the library? And then they said, But he's the only one who can do that because he can read the other languages. And this rather warped monk said, But if you assign Ignacio to to fix the library, he will enjoy what he is doing. And that's when I realized why, why should work be a pain? Uh, work can actually be relevant. Work can be fulfilling. Um, and that's what changed my whole idea about what, what work should be. And uh, and work for me is, is that. It's, I find joy in it. I find fulfillment. I find relevance in it. And that's I guess that's what keeps me going. You know?
2: mm-hmm. Um Professor, to our audience today, um, that actually, you know, wants to traverse this path of yours, you no, know, where wherein every day feels like uh you know an enjoyment, Diva. Right? And for example, you know, they were inspired by your talk today or your or your stories today about becoming a historian and, and doing this history as life. Um, how do they how do how do you get started if you want to actually Become a historian like the great Ambeto Campo? Well, you have to read. that's the thing. You have to read a
0: lot. No? Um, but basically, most people who are going into history from another job or when they're retired, uh, they have little projects no? Think, most of the time mm. it's uh, it's genealogical. Di uh, where did we come from? Uh, uh, so they they trace their they trace their family tree all the Ling. way back as far as they can do and you know how do you do that so you have to go to church records you have to read a little spanish because the records are in in uh, spanish no um i mean i'm i'm one eighth chinese i've always wondered where where my really? great grandfather from <laughs> fujian came from now he came with a, with the with a ponytail so um and my chinese friend because my father's uh, middle name was un, un uh which is a rather it's not a common name, although some people say it's probably Ui. You no, know? uh, but I remember when we first visited China, my my aunts were saying, open the telephone directory, look at all the uns, let's go there. And when they open the door, just kiss them right away. They're probably <laughs> our relatives. You no, know? but sorry, how crazy. But can you imagine? Like, we went to uh, I was brought to the place in in Fujian where they have an exact replica of the Rizal monument. Can you imagine in rice field, they built this exact, well, it's not exact because the, the, the Rizal there, he looks Chinese, no? uh, and then galet. But uh, they put it in the place where Rizal's great-great-great-great-grandfather came from. So we visited the, 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 the town and then they, they met so parang where the family uh, memorial is. So it goes back ba? over a thousand years. It's it's amazing. So most people do that. They do their family first. Some people, they, they have a province, so they want to learn about their towns. No? So uh, they start researching when is the foundation of the town, when was the church built. So it's relevant to them. And, uh, and it's easy starting to do the research. But how do you start? Actually, you don't need, uh, unless you will be an academic, you don't need a history degree to become a historian. I mean, I started writing history. I was an IS major. Right? Uh, I was not a history major. But uh, you can you can still become a historian even if you don't have a history degree. Because, I, I mean, when you think about it, most people don't see it. that we practice history every day. You, know, you apply That's for right. a job. You, you, you fill in the personal data sheet. What is that? Name of father, name of mother. What is your schooling what is your work experience? That's history already, somebody's personal history, but we don't see it that way. So we actually practice it in everyday life. So when you become more focused, uh, then you start to read up you know, or some people are interested in in particular uh, periods. Now, many people are interested in the Second World War, but I do other things. Um, Many years ago, I, I received a message on Facebook. Now, somebody said, are you interested in a copy of the diaries of Ferdinand Marcos? fine. Mm-hmm. And then they said, can you meet me in the National Bookstore Glorieta and bring parang 4,000? amount. Niya, that's the amount of the photocopy. Mm-hmm. So sabi ko, Sige, fine. Di ba? So, but of course, I was scared. So I sent my yaya there with the money. Uh, and then she came home with a huge pile of photocopies. And it was Marcos's diary. So I sent a message back on Facebook. Thank you very much. But uh, I'm sorry I cannot use this because it's typewritten. I don't know who you are. I don't know where this thing came from. So it's, it cannot be used as far as I'm concerned. Then the, the person said, Hi, do you want the handwritten version? That will cost you a little bit more. Di sabi ko, wag na, gastos na naman, ba? So, I kept it. And then, some years later, two or three years later, it's September 21, on around September 21, I wanted to write a martial law column, ba? So, I dug up this thing. So, I used it, even if I felt, you know, baka hindi to baka fake ito, di ba? So, I used it. And then, uh, Manolok Nelson, who was then working in Malacanang, said, uh, where did you get the entries for September 1972? I said, it was sent to me by somebody from Facebook. And then they said, we don't have the entries for 72 in Uh, So can you give us a copy? So anyway, to cut the long story short, we exchanged copies. No? Uh, PCGG, Malakanyang. maybe we exchanged copies. And so now I have the handwritten version. And mm-hmm. I... I collated it from five different sources. You know? So we transcribed it. And um, what's interesting here is that, of course, Marcos is lying you know, half the time. Um, like, for example, everyone mm-hmm. wants to know about Dovey Beams. You know, that he had an affair with this American starlet. Uh, and then, of course, in the diary, he says, oh, no, that Dovey Beams is a liar. I did not have an affair. The CIA probably... Uh, put her there so that I could be embarrassed no i mean so but we all know that's not true no so uh, i i realized that this was a diary he wanted to either publish later or he would rework it into a biography so it it has to be read with great caution but the thing there is that it also no matter how how biased and lying it is any text uh, a, a skillful historian will be able to extract truth from it um, so what is important for me here is you see what it is like to be president of the Philippines. What are the, what are the things that he has to attend to? No, uh, A bus driver's strike, a jeepney driver's strike, the rising oil and rice prices. So it's all there. No? So when you, when you read it, uh, don't mind the lying parts, but it gives you a, a sense of what it is like to run a country, so the different interests that are that are weighing in on him, uh, people who are right. peddling things, assassination attempts. What what is it like to to actually be president? So for me, that's important. And then, um, the the things about the family. You no, know, the tone changes immediately when he talks about his children, which is which is also amazing. You no, know? although of course, uh at this point, well, this is very early. With I I don't know what he became 20 years later, now that he's running for president, but in the 1970s, uh, Marcos was very concerned because he, he felt that his son was lazy. You no, know? and the apple of his eye was was Ivy, mm-hmm. who who was the who was getting good grades, etc. And you see that you no know? in one in one entry he says, I wish she was a boy. You no, know? and when you think about that. It's it's a question of gender. If Ivy was a boy, she would be running for president today. Why didn't they let her run right? instead of instead of the brother, who I guess exactly. just wants to have his own life? But you can see that the real politician in the family is the eldest daughter. You no, know? but it's a question of gender. Then there's this thing about what, uh, what made him declare martial law, and the Jesuits are so horrified. What what crystallized the the martial law? The declaration. He went on a Jesuit retreat in Baguio Holy Week of 1972. Uh, he prayed mm-hmm. and asked God, "What mm-hmm. am I going to do?" And God spoke to him and told him. <laughs> and so the Jesuits are saying, "It's not our fault, but it is God." <laughs> <laughs> but I said, "But you guided him, you guided him to that conclusion." So I, it it will be nice one day. I hope we we can publish this. Um, right as is not just as a historical document but my, my main fear it, because i'm a result scholar i'm i'm not so sure if my reputation will be strong enough to withstand the flak that will come from it uh simply because i'm just being scholarly about it so uh anti-marcos people will say i'm not i'm not hitting him too hard pro-marcos people will say i have an anti-marcos slant no, so mm-hmm. it it's the same thing no uh during the during the nineteen ninety eight centennial. You no, know, the, the Aguinal people didn't know what I I was where I was in terms of Aguinaldo. So the pro-aguinaldo people felt I was anti-aguinaldo and the, and, and and vice versa, which means that maybe you're doing something correct, you not know, because both sides are upset with you. But it's that it's it's always trying to see people at I mean like Emilio Aguinaldo is the president we all love to hate he killed Bonifacio. He killed Antonio Luna. We, we don't know about that, But the point there is, we should judge Aguinaldo at his height. I mean, when he yeah. when he ordered the execution of Bonifacio, he had his reasons for doing that. It's not us in 2022. I he should have done this. He should have done that. We know see what happened. But this guy was was going by at what that he moment, knew at the time. So it's not hindsight, no. And second. Aguinaldo is our least prepared Philippine president. He's a high school dropout. Mm. Uh he's not very bright. And yet, when you think about it, he was president at 29. What does a 29-year-old Pinoy do today, Niba? Right? He works exactly. in a call center. I'm not saying call center is bad, but the thing is you put yourself in, in his shoes. He's 29 high exactly. school dropout. You're not bra- you're not bright and yet you fought Spain, and you were fighting the United States of America. I mean, can you imagine that? Uh, just putting him in that context alone will will change your view of, of what he is. Of course, what he did later no, uh, is another thing, because sometimes living too long can also be a liability. <laughs> so if he died early, he would still be a hero. But but he was smart that's why he outlived everyone else right? but then his reputation uh, became, became okay. bad so uh, i mean that's that's the thing it's 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 life's choices right? or you want to live and have a bad rap or you want to die early and be remembered as a hero again uh hindi i mean there's this funny part because uh, Apollinario mm-hmm. Mabini, who wrote the, the most damning uh, assessment of Aguinaldo, he was the one who first said, you know, if you want to re- be remembered as a hero, you must die a glorious death yeah. on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Oh, and what's Aguinaldo's answer? Right. you
1: think
0: about it? Oh, he he lived, he outlived Mabini. No, so so I mean it's that. No, I mean, but some people don't see it that way but I, I'd like to take my right. way of looking at it at least it makes sense. You may not agree with me but uh, it does oh, fast right? so Professor
2: you... yeah um, thank you so much for taking us off that beaten path of you know the historian life. Uh, wow this felt like we covered so much uh, in, in different years. I guess sir, for our audience right now can you let people know uh, where you're at right now and what you're excited about in the next few days? Oh, that's really well, next week. Well, every year I, I I publish a compilation
0: of my columns. You no, know, my last one was called uh, Queridas, the Results" about results, love like, which sold very well. You know, the, the year before it was martial. You know? um, so I'm thinking about what what to write this this week, and uh, I'm looking forward to actually having uh, a hybrid lecture already. So Ayala yeah. and I are already thinking of how to have a contained, safe. Uh, Real, um, real lecture. No, but uh, again, it's that. No, and also hopefully to get the, the Marcos diaries out in some form, no? either in printed form or or online. So there's a lot. There's so much to do and so little time. No? so I wish there were fifty more ambeto campus. My, my biggest frustration is that I've been teaching for thirty years and I haven't found the next ambeto Campo yet. No, but it's probably somewhere there. She is somewhere there, um, and I hope I hope we find them soon enough.
2: Right. Okay. And then uh, last question, sir. In one to two sentences, what for you is taking the off-beaten path? Hmm. So I'd say the off-beaten path, I mean, we, we go
0: through life, and we, we often are at a crossroads. Uh, we often take one road and regret the other. No? That's the off-beaten path. And uh, some of us are, are blessed with the opportunity to be able to explore other paths. So you, you must you must try it out either when you have the time, when you retire. Uh, uh, it it's, it's always trying to find out, you know did I make the right choice? So the offbeaten path is actually, it's the road not taken should be should actually be the road not taken. And in, in my life, I've had many, Many roads that I didn't take, and it's always the what if. No Ma, the late the agoncillo used to scolded me once, because para uh, I'm very interested in what if, de counterfactual? What if this happened instead of this? And uh, because it's more, it's more engaging to know what did not happen rather than what happened, right? And agoncillo scolded me and said, Alamo mo iho sa history. ang dami na nating kailangan gawin." yun lang yun lang nangyari hindi mo maaasikaso mo pa yung hindi nangyari don't waste your time but what i mean for me it's always nice to to consider you know the road not taken not the off beaten path kasi means that you're you're already taken you know but the road not taken what what were the choices that were not made what would have happened if something else happens uh instead of another so i guess it's it's part of human nature too To explore and to to try to find answers to life's questions. Taking the road not taken or the offbeat is is one of them.
2: Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Ambet. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our show. If you liked our show, please follow us as well in Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. That's at the TheProjectOffbeat. Kita-kita sa next episode. And here's to taking the off-beaten path. Kita-kits, guys. Thank you. Okay.
0: Great. Thank, thank you, you very thank much. You,
2: sir. This, this went. I told you, it went very well. Wow, um, sir. Grabe. Same all was up, sir? <laughs> all
0: right. <laughs>